Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Zielinski, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. All right. First of all, Bill, always a pleasure to catch up. Uh, EIS, one of my favorite topics, Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Contract. Uh, there's a big deadline coming up end of March, but in the meantime, there's a lot of other things happening you know, before this deadline and, and well after the deadline. Let's just start with a status check. Uh, give me a, uh, an update on the EIS program. How are things looking today? The agencies are currently releasing solicitations and issuing the task orders against EIS. And we're really monitoring their progress as well as providing extensive assistance in establishing deadlines and milestones to accelerate the transition. So just to give you a sense of where things stand from a numbers perspective, right now, nine out of 17 large agencies will award all task orders by March 31st, 2020. 11 out of 25 medium agencies will award all task orders by March 31st of 2020. And then 38 of 181 small agencies and Native American tribes will award their task orders by March 31st of 2020. And so as of the end of February, uh, we expect to receive a total of 192 solicitations across all agencies, of which 19 have an award already. So roughly 10% have not only released those solicitations, but they've already have an award in place on those solicitations. There's another 50 solicitations that have been released to industry but are not yet awarded. And then another 32 are ready to be released, which leaves approximately 90 in some stage of review or completion for those solicitations. And and Jason, I can't overstate the importance of transitioning while modernizing, right? GSA is optimistic that when we get to the end of 2020, we'll see considerable transition progress across government. But that'll also be a strong indication that agencies have made kind of a major advancements in their IT modernization efforts as well. All right. Good numbers there in, in many ways. When you say 9 of 17 the large agencies will, will award by March 31st, that leaves about that's about 50 percent, just over 50 percent. Traditionally, we talk about 24 large agencies. So the, I guess when you talk about large, medium and small, GSA, EPA, while we consider those, quote unquote, large, those are in your medium world, too, correct? Yeah, they, they are. Just for clarification, just make sure because people think of large agencies, they think of the CFO Act agencies and the like. Um, yeah, generally. Is that where you thought you'd be? I mean, obviously the hope is always to be 100%, but but 50% considering ATOs just happened at the end of December, early January. Are you about where you expected to be or are you behind? Are you ahead? Give me a sense. We do have concerns that as we set these different milestones in place, those milestones were really put in place to ensure that we have steady, consistent progress towards that full transition date when we get to the end of the contract. And as you know from past experience, that oftentimes there are those last lagging services and things that generally create the issue. So even if an agency has substantially transitioned most of their services over, there's always those last little bits and pieces that that need to be taken care of. And so the milestones that we put in place we're to try to ensure that we that we move as much of it to the left as possible. Uh, I would say that in terms of expectations, I, I would have expected us to be a little bit further along than we are now. Uh, that said, I do think that by putting these milestones in place and consistently tracking progress towards those through our EIS transition progress tracking dashboard, it allows us to, to help inform agencies and their leadership as where they stand and what it means for risk relative to transition as we move forward. You bring up this idea of risk and, and inform agencies. Are 
you guys at GSA, whether it's the, the FAS Commissioner Julie Dunn or GSA Administrator Emily Murphy or you and your folks, how often are you meeting with agencies and, and specifically agency leaders, you know, whether it's uh, deputy secretaries or assistant secretaries for management, you know, the non-IT folks, to talk about EIS and really trying to promote, hey, you got to get this done. This is not one of those nice-to-haves. This is a must-have, and here's why. We have worked extensively with the Office of uh, Management and Budget to get those communications out through the CIO community. Uh, we've also worked up through um, through the Office of Management and Budget to the to the President's Management Council. So uh, Administrator Murphy has has provided updates on an ongoing basis to the Deputy Secretaries on progress for agencies as well. And then, of course, we have transition managers that we're in contact contact with on a daily basis and. Part of what we did in this transition is we asked each agency to assign a senior transition manager so that we actually would have somebody within the agency who was at that appropriate senior level. So, you know, on a daily basis, Jason, we have contact with agencies. We also have uh, regular um, monthly calls and meetings with agencies. So I, I, would, I would say that the contact and the, and the conversations occur daily and that we have a regular rhythm of check-in uh, with the agencies on, on the status of transition. And that includes sending regular communications through the administrator to uh, agency deputy secretaries as well. Do you get a sense when you talk to agencies, what is the delay for some of these agencies and, and what can GSA do to help lessen or, or accelerate the pace? A lot of it is this is really a once every 10 years, once every 15 years sort of transition. And so there's a lot of work, number one, that goes into ensuring that they have accounted for all of the business services and know exactly what's in play. But there's also, as they look at modernizing and, and what services they're going to put in place in the new contracts, uh, that, that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. So as security, as security requirements change, as an example, from the time that we awarded the contract to where we are today, we have moved from tick 2.0 to tick 3.0. That's not a it, it just an incremental change when you talk about going from TIC 2.0 to TIC 3.0. It's a considerable change in terms of the underlying policy and what mechanisms agencies have to to follow that policy. So those sorts of things um, uh, often cause agencies to revisit their plans. You know, I, I would just say that it's a it's a large, complex transition that requires uh, constant uh, work in in moving it forward while at the same time there are things in the broader environment that are changing, as well as, uh, as, well as ensuring that agencies are, uh, are, are properly aligned to, from a budgetary uh, perspective. So it's, it's just not an easy thing to transition all of these agencies and their services uh, during these kind of uh, large-scale contract transitions. From the GSA perspective, are there things you can do or things that you are doing regularly to help agencies ease that challenge. There was times when GSA called something called the full service model that GSA was able to offer. You guys are not doing that this year, but there are other pieces and parts that you're able to maybe put together. We do support agencies and vendors with the EIS transition efforts through a number of different things. So for example, transition ordering assistance that provides agencies with direct assistance to expedite their fair opportunity selection of EIS contractors. It includes assisting with gathering requirements, developing the actual solicitations and the acquisition strategies, evaluating proposals. We also have technical and contracting experts that we provide uh, to the agencies to, to assist on that. Uh, we also provide additional acquisition and technical consulting 
support um, uh, from the team. Uh, we, it, we maintain an inventory of services for all of the agencies. And again, when you take a look at the entire landscape of this, this contains over 32 million separate elements that need to be transitioned. So we maintain that inventory to assist with that. We provide training and online tools. We assist in transition work as it relates to um, managed buildings. So there's a, there's a lot of things that we do from that perspective. In addition to that, uh, we've also used those lessons learned um, to, to from prior transitions. So um, GAO conducted a, a review of the ES program that provided us from the transition to networks, and we actually implemented all of those um, all of those uh, recommendations from GAO. So so we're aiming to kind of reduce the friction in this transition as much as possible by incorporating all of those lessons learned uh, from that transition to networks and from the audits that have been provided through GAO. I remember the hearing that recently happened before the House Oversight Reform Subcommittee on Government Operations where that came up, and obviously GAO was very positive and, and praised both you and GSA for, the, for those efforts. One of the things, though, that I hear from vendors, and I've talked to several, not all of them, but several, they feel that there's a lot of similarities between that network's transition and this EIS transition. Do you, and I know you weren't necessarily at GSA back during the network's transition. I think you were potentially at the Social Security Administration back then. Are there similarities that you're trying to avoid? Are there differences? When you've talked to the staff that have been at GSA for a long time, are they seeing, hey, this is much different or, yeah, we're, we're, we, we are worried it's going down the same path? There are some similarities, again, in the sense of having a, a large number of services that need to be transitioned over. But But I will tell you, Jason, that we have really looked at this transition through the lens of modernization. And when we take a look at modernization, we really have uh, kind of four key principles that we look at. So expanding bandwidth and moving away from uh, kind of old uh, time division multiplexing TDM infrastructure to more modern Ethernet services, uh, moving from legacy voice services to voice over IP and unified communication services, leveraging managed service opportunities and improving network security posture by embedding security components in the network services. So if you take a look at the transition to networks and you look at the capability that was on networks as opposed to what you see on EIS, there's a very large scale difference in terms of the capability that is present on EIS that wasn't there. If you look at the security lens and if you look at the role of security in this transition, it's, it's tremendously stronger. And, and, I and I will say that uh, when we take a look at kind of those elements of, of modernization, um, you see that there's a, a lot of, of that modernization that is being placed into this new environment. So uh, for example, that, that uh, transition from TDM to more modern ethernet services, 76 of the 109 solicitations that re we've reviewed include Ethernet access or voice over IP, right? So, so the vast majority are, are looking at that more modern infrastructure. When you look at things like software-defined de, uh, software wide area networks, SD-WAN, um, this is game-changing technology for enterprise networks, and we've seen 27 of those solicitations have specifically requested SD-WAN as part of it. So, so I do think that the, the entire process of transitioning over new, to a new contract has some similarities, but I think this is a tremendously different uh, contract and a different set of technology services that are being delivered through through EIS than what you saw on networks. I would fully agree with you that the EIS is much much more advanced than networks. I think I'm talking about 
the process by the transition, the way it's happening, the concerns over delays and solicitations, the concerns over uh, agencies going big bang, like for like, uh, the concerns that I've heard from vendors, even about the time that GSA has, the, the milestones and deadlines that GSA has set out, is it enough time? Will agencies meet them? And of course, a whole separate issue that we can get into that probably doesn't really fall into your areas is the accountability factor that came up during the hearing. I know GSA is, again, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this because I know you're limited to what GSA actually can do from an accountability standpoint. But those are the, the concerns that I'm hearing from vendors about why networks and EIS may be going down the same path as networks were delayed costs and, and, and concerns. We've taken those lessons learned. We've taken a look at those past transitions. And let me give you some kind of areas in which we, we have made material changes. So again, relative to accountability as opposed to kind of the mechanisms that we have, uh, when we extended those expiring networks with three and LSA contracts to May of 2023, we did so on the condition that we would, we GSA, would limit the use of extended contracts on an agency by agency basis if they had not made appropriate transition progress by March 31st of this year. And so the intent there is to disincentivize, not just request that agencies move forward, but actually put mechanisms in place that make it so that they cannot continue to utilize the old contracts as a mechanism to to force more transition progress. So what that means is that um, after March 31st, we're actually going to begin to disconnect agencies in phases to meet that September 30th of 2022 milestone for 100% completion of transition. The very first phase of that includes services for which no agency has claimed responsibility and for small agencies that were non-responsive to the transition outreach. In future phases, it'll be based upon each agency's status at that time and the individual circumstances that's impacting the transition. So for example, any potential protest, lapses in appropriation, pending contract modifications, those sorts of things. So that first part is we're actually going to start to remove the ability to continue on the old. Additionally, we're going to freeze all future growth on those legacy contracts, and we'll begin to suspend ordering activities on those contracts beginning in October of 2020. And we've actually communicated these these milestones and these dates and these measures to agencies from the very beginning. So, Jason, what we're really looking to do is, is to say that we all understand the importance of transition. We all understand the importance of being able to utilize the contract for modernization. But we all also we also understand that we cannot have a continued use of the old contracts, which is which is where we really run into the problem. So one thing we didn't do in the last transition that we're doing in this one is we're actually pulling back on the availability of the services on the old, which which then really very much forces the transition. And just so I can put a finer point on this build so I understand. So if I'm an agency and I want to – and I'm, currently I'm buying something off networks, so let's make it up. I'm, I'm buying just plain old telephone lines off networks. And I said, you know, I could really like to add five more lines, and I, I, I would not be able to go to networks to add those five lines. I'd have to go to EIS to add those five lines, and, and that would also push me toward potentially adding the beginnings of VoIP for those initial lines. I know I simplified it, but but is is that the right kind of tone you're, you're trying to say? Yeah, basically, Jason. I, I think I think the simplification might be too far of a simplification, simplification, right? Because when we talk about lines as a simple addition, as opposed to uh, there were instances in last transitions in the last transition where agencies were ordering 
um, uh, wholly new services, not just an additional set of lines, but wholly new services on the old, even as we were in the midst of that transition. In this case, what we're saying is if you're looking to add new services above and beyond the sets that you have today, those really need to go to EIS. Now, as you move through transition, as you put your fair opportunity solicitations out and you move towards award, you can continue to use those, those old contracts for operating what you already have in place, but it's the substantially new services that, that are not going to be allowed on the networks and associated contracts as we move into, into these next phases. Okay. Thank you for that clarification because I think people hear it and it feels like a little bit of a hollow accountability piece, but you sounds like you guys are actually taking it one step further and saying not just freezing growth, but starting to really push the ordering activities in one direction. We have to take a break. My guest today is Bill Zielinski, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology Category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Zielinski, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology Category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. The other piece I heard from a lot of vendors is they're seeing a lot of the like-for-like, big-bang approach, and that is of concerns to them, even to the point where it's like-for-like today, and then the longer-term view would be more of a modernization transformation. Are you seeing that it's still very much a like-for-like initial short-term approach to EIS? In some instances, Jason, it is, but in many other instances, we are seeing that agencies have a very mindful, thoughtful plan for how they are going to move forward. And so when we take a look at the solicitations that are being put out, there may be a specific set of business services that they will need more time, that an agency will need more time in order to support the change. So they are going to move forward with more of a like-for-like within that area. But they're also putting out solicitations that substantially transform their uh, underlying technology today. So it's it's mixed, and and it's really based upon kind of what best meets the needs of the agency. But we are, as I said before, seeing a substantial amount of modernization being placed into these solicitations. So from a timing perspective, they may be different. But we are seeing that uh, substantially across the board, the overarching plans have a significant amount of modernization uh, within them. Are you concerned at all about the big bang approach that some agencies are taking, meaning you know, one vendor, winner take all? I know Justice Department, and I won't ask you to comment on them specifically, but was criticized for, for a $900 million award. Some of the newer participants in EIS are saying, hey, if you just broke it up into voice, video, and data, you could have a lot more innovation and a lot better prices. Is that something GSA is working on, trying to encourage agencies to move away from the Big Bang approach? What we have worked with agencies on is, first of all, within the contract itself, we have a a much more diverse set of providers. So depending upon what capabilities they're looking to to bring bring to bear for the agency, they do have a lot more choices for, for what they can bring to bear. So we are, we are encouraging through our EIS vendor days and through our interaction between agencies and the providers that are on EIS, really making sure that they have opportunities to see what substantial um, capabilities are brought to the table. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's up to the agencies as to which is the best approach for them. Um, and what we do is we work to ensure that they know and understand kind of the, 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 the Um, kind of broad nature of capability and the broad set of providers that are available to them. 
when you guys do the review, because I know you guys do a scope review of the solicitations, do you have that discussion with them? Hey, this seems like you're really trying to eat the apple in one bite. Have you thought about cutting that apple into quarters? Yeah, so, so we will often talk to them on a number of different levels as it relates to the scope review. Uh, one of the things in the scope review, we really get down to some technical sorts of things. I, I talked earlier about the TIC 2.0 to TIC 3.0 transition. Uh, we have seen some instances where the fair opportunity solicitation that agencies have put together uh, were really written. The specification of the requirement that was in there is really written to TIC 2.0. That's something that we will actually we, we will actually sit down with them and say, you know, you're really writing to kind of yesterday's uh, kind of technical requirement from a tick perspective, and and here's the ways in which you can better incorporate tick 3.0 into your solicitation, and even to the extent of we we will bring DHS into those conversations to provide that technical support and guidance going forward. So so those are those are much more technical in nature. From, from the standpoint of a, an acquisition strategy itself, we do speak to them very much about the, the options that they have across those providers and different approaches that they may want to take depending upon what their technical needs are. So, so yes, as part, of their, as part of the review of their solicitations, we, we go through kind of a technical review as well as an acquisition approach and strategy. Uh, discussion with them. What's the message to industry? What's the message to agencies beyond, you know, get these out, come on, let's make it happen? What does GSA want to do? And what's what, as you talk to agencies, what, as you talk to industry, what is the hope that you can help, that GSA can help them kind of move this and accelerate the, the time it takes to for the transition and modernization? What we've attempted to do throughout this, Jason, is to, is to really bring together the providers with the agencies. And so, so the message the message that we have for agencies is that as they're exploring their technical requirements, there's an ample opportunity for them to, to rather than being highly prescriptive and highly specific in the requirements, is to, to pull back from, from kind of that deep level of specification and really allow for an opportunity for industry to bring solutions to the table. And those are solutions that will both advance them from a modernization and from a technical capability perspective, but those are also things that may, that may be tremendously more cost-effective for them as well. So, so the message has been we have an opportunity to, to bring industry together with agencies and really have conversations all throughout this so that they are looking for kind of the best of what the contract can bring to them and, and agencies should be open to listening to, to kind of those proposals from industry with perhaps different approaches than they may have requested to begin with. And I think that's the beauty of a, of a contract like this, right? And, and having a GSA kind of sit in the middle is that we have that ability to bring those communities together and really think through the problems or the challenges or the opportunities that agencies have so that when they do move forward with putting out a solicitation and they do move forward in executing on the contract, that they're really getting the best possible that industry can bring to the table. All right, Bill. Hey, this was a great conversation. I really do appreciate your time. And, and I know EIS is one of those programs we'll continue to follow. So first, let me thank Bill Zielinski is the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology Category at GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Bill, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. We have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
In this part of the show, we shift gears a little to hear more about the network modernization from Air Force CIO Bill Marion. He spoke recently at an Army Data and Cloud event. So we're going to take you a little bit of journey here, kind of start with our principal term we call Digital Air Force. Uh, A lot of what General Crawford went through is the same journey uh, that the Air Force is on, right? Data is a strategic asset. It's all about joint all-domain operations. But I also tell folks it's also critical, especially in this community, we get all of the underpinnings correct. Whether that's cloud, whether that's network, whether it's endpoints, whether it's security, we have to thread all of those themes together. And then last but certainly not least is the workforce side of it. So we're going to give you a little bit of framing of what we call the Digital Air Force and how we're kind of decomposing the problem, very similar to the Army discussion of what we did in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, as we build on this journey for, I would call, advanced insights, data insights, artificial intelligence, because that's what it's really all about, all of these underpinnings to make that happen. Uh, and it's really the building blocks. You could call it an OSI model of, of Digital Air Force. But at the very bottom, if you look at this, this is enterprise IT as a service. So everything, next-gen networking, cloud services, next-gen endpoints, mobile computing, the data architecture, the data work, Aline Vadrine back in the back, uh, CDO for the Air Force, all the work she's doing to kind of synchronize uh, the data elements that we'll go through. Right? Those are foundational. We all know that, but we haven't made the investments. And what I, what I would tell you is the Air Force made substantial investments in this last palm to finally get at that. Uh, so large amount of money uh, to really get at that digital, what Dr. Oprah calls the digital plumbing of our infrastructure. Above that, then, of course, is how do you build out that data layer? Is how do we bring together a new data environment? It's no longer these pools and silos and different systems sitting all over the ecosystem. Again, how do you use the network and cloud to bring those, those applications both business and weapons system and intelligence systems together into a holistic enterprise. Above that, of course, AI, the advanced analytics, the advanced insights, right? I would argue the reason the, the report came out against the DOD saying, hey, you didn't get some fundamentals right is because we often jump to the, to the bright, shiny object, which we call AI, and we've got some fundamental things to get right, which is why you're here, the data and cloud elements, and, and trying to make the right investments to the right sequencing uh, to deliver an AI uh, infrastructure. Of course, uh, you've probably seen a lot of the small business innovation uh, pitch days. Uh, Dr. Roper is, is working diligently about how do we get tech in at the speed of need. So these ITAS efforts are other transactional authorities. So we actually went from problem statement to award in months, not years, and sometimes weeks, and getting to execution inside of a full, full year time frame. So from problem statement to execution well inside of a year, which is game changing. And then as, as uh, the Microsoft lead uh, talked about the user experience, we're trying to really double down. Um, I would argue we have lost kind of focus in that area. And so we put an HQE specifically on that to look at our applications, look at our data, look at all of our business processes to start seeing how we retool from a user experience perspective. All right, so what is ITAS? So the foundational piece. If you're on the government side, we can share kind of our, our investments there in more detail, but shouldn't be any surprise here. Right? A network that works, that's agile, that's wireless, that's globally connected, regardless of where you sit. Right? So we call that Net1 in our JADC2 environment a unified network. Also, we'll tie to things like the proliferated LEO pieces that, that AQ is working out. How do you get low-Earth orbit global satellite communications? How do you get global 4G, 5G? And we have specific initiatives that are funded underneath this to go there. Also under ITAS, we have a thing called Network as a Service. Network as a Service will bring that broadband, 100 gig, um, globally connected, cross-linked, all those buzz terms, but makes it real at our risk reduction sites. 
So cloud is not very useful if you can't connect to it, right? So this is providing the global high-speed connectivity, high-speed rail to get there. And then we've awarded a couple uh, contracts. One was the southeast region of the U.S., uh, where we implemented 16 uh, 4G-enhanced bases, if you will, uh, Tyndall next-gen base with the Tyndall rebuild. So there's a lot of work going on there with 5G, 4G investment. Next one. Uh, actually, just went live in this area. Unisys is our principal uh, player there. The first one is AT&T and Microsoft. The second one is Unisys. This is reimagining the desktop. So taking the heavy lift, high um, processing impacted uh, endpoint, retooling it, rewickering it, and also providing alternative devices. We're going to bring in uh, things like Chromebooks, uh, Macs, more iOS devices. Again, create a lighter footprint, smaller attack footprint, but also something that's more agile and mobile with their airmen, with their flight line or at their desk. Genius bars, that's kind of the, the term right on the Apple side of it, but this is going to reimagine also how we do help desk support. So how do we make sure everybody's connected 24 by 7? AI-enabled smart, smart desk, uh, help desk, all of those things are embodied in this initiative. Next one, we'll dive into cloud here in a minute. But really the game changer here hasn't been just, hey, we delivered IAS and pass. So we've, underneath the Cloud One initiative, great efforts there, uh, making some fundamental, we got about 37 global enterprise applications in that ecosystem. You may have seen, uh, just awarded the contract, the new award with SIC. So they are a provider with a, a lot of, of kind of support construct underneath them. But really the game changer piece there is the DevSecOps. You've seen it in the, tra in the trade news. Kessel Run, Kobayashi Maru, Space Camp, GBSD, B21, this big fundamental shift to common development platforms. So Dr. Roper, Nick Shalon, and team, Preston Dunlap have been laser focused on not allowing the day, a day's old age of, of software development to continue, right? We're requiring them to move to these singular constructs. It's not just one, but they're constructs, Kubernetes, open source, all those buzz terms we need into this, but it's really how we deliver the next-gen software across all of our platforms. Interoperability, security, cost, all those things roll into it. That's kind of the game changer. The edge, right? We fight a little bit different than the Army, just a little bit, right? We have a huge amount of reach back. So the Langleys, the Beals, the Hollemans, the Whitemans, we launch from states oftentimes, and we return to states oftentimes. The UAS feeds come back to the states. So resiliency at the edge sometimes is at the base edge as well. So our edge component is talking about principally on the airframe, but it's also talking about, okay, so when Whiteman gets disconnected, can they continue to operate in a cloud environment, if you will? So that one's Accenture. Uh, they're in partnership with some folks underneath that to deliver that enterprise cloud to edge cloud consistency of, of basically experience. And then last but not least is tools. So we, I believe we're the largest uh, Office 365 user, CDR user in the world at a little over 700,000 users now. But it's really not about that. It's about how do you integrate an information space, whether you're an email or shared drives or SharePoint or however, or collaboration tools, how do you bring that ecosystem together so that the seams that we always ex experience, right, where, where was that file, right? Simple things like that. And then propagating that as the Cipronet community and the, the JWICs and above communities implement 365, I think we're going to start to see a whole new age of collaboration and data sharing. Uh, and yes, it's 101, but it's the basics. It's the basics we got to get right and the basics we got to get scale. That also serves the foundation for unified comms. So what are we doing with data and cloud, specifically in this one? 
right? So the last couple years, uh, you've seen this big, uh, we call it the GCDS kind of pass. We use GCDS for the single sign-on in the front. Basically, Amazon and Microsoft are our two providers on the backside, and we do develop on, on both of those platforms. We are definitely a hybrid cloud environment, and we will continue to be so consistent with the DoD strategy. But we do unify through our past services. So those services, you can see down at the bottom of whether it's help desk or identity or security services, we do normalize those through our managed service office out of Hanscom Air Force Base. That's principally where those 37 apps are residing today. What we're working on right now is really codifying, I'm going I'm to jump to the third one here, the DevSecOps piece. So we're taking the Kessel Run platform, think of more of a Pivotal-centric, Kubernetes-centric, and an open shift uh, under the Space Camp and Level Up initiative to give two different software factories, if you will, um, kind of stand those up end to end. And we think we're about less than 60 days from going uh, IOC in those environments. Some of the elements are already there, but we're not uh, to full production yet. Yes, there is a place for lift and shift. There's a place where we need to turn off our legacy data centers, our legacy comm closets. And so we are working to make that migration for some of those applications that are just don't need to be refactored. It, this, the price point it doesn't make sense. We need to put them in a zone where they can, they can run and they can be secure and we can understand how they're operating and who their customers are. And then IL-6, uh, we are going live as we speak. So big initiative there is our readiness pathfinder. And that readiness pathfinder is our first start to bring in about 20 different data sources uh, and counting, depending on the day, uh, and bring those into a, a kind of a unified front to say, okay, I'm going to take an airframe and fuel and depot and manpower and training and bring that into consistent picture where I can start doing what-if analysis on readiness across the globe. So that's a big, big one on our IL-6 Cipernet environment. And then we've already started it, but I, I, can't, I couldn't give you a warm uh, date yet, but we have some SaaS implementations, specifically ServiceNow is one of them, Salesforce is one of them. Um, we haven't rolled those out as enterprise capabilities, but I think, again, in this movement to platform centricity, just like cloud, you could argue Amazon and Microsoft are platforms, not just cloud providers. The platforms we talk about SaaS are, are inherently uh, important as well. So our HR world has gone to a lot of the ERPs in the cloud. So our MyPurse, so our total force HR tool, uh, we're using ServiceNow pretty consistently. We actually use it as we provision our cloud instances as well. That's kind of the, the path that we've been on. Again, 37 apps in the first one. This is the big game changer that I would argue when you start talking about scale and what we're doing with Kessel Run and, and Level Up. And then this is the, the path for next. But again, how do you keep building a platform of success that we can continue to build upon, build upon, build upon, unify security, unify help desk, streamline delivery, right? That's where we're at. Okay, this is an eye chart. It's not meant for you to read. But what we're trying to do, and I would argue we, we need to do as a whole of DOD, is what is our service catalog and where we're at with it. So in this case, you could argue this is the cloud service catalog. So if you look at Nippernet, Right? We need an IL-2 environment. We need an IL-5 environment. We need a production environment. We need a dev environment. We need, right, on down the line. And then if you put the variance of, of an Amazon and Microsoft kind of vernacular to that, that's where you get to this big matrix chart. Where are we really at with cloud implementation? And so with, with good detail, you can see where we're at with IL-6, where we think we're going to go live. Uh, again, it's a tactical slide, but it's, it's critically important we know where we're at. It also helps us drive funding. Right, because this also identifies where the holes are. When you look at the DevSecOps, so what we're working on right now is we'll have a layer in here. It'll say what stack, what DevSecOps stack, in essence, sits on top of each layer. So you'd see a, a, another slide just like that. We're building it out. It's 
so that you know what environments you can go to. Hey, if I want to go to a, a Pivotal stack or an OpenShift stack on IL-6, is it there? If it's not there, when's it going to be there, and how do I build to it, right? So again, pretty tactical, but I think it's really important. Got a lot of good feedback on this to say, where are we really at with cloud? Because there's a lot of work going on, and sometimes you talk past each other when you say, well, you're not ready. Microsoft's not ready on IL-6, or Amazon's not ready for IL-2, dev, prod. This puts some, some level of, of tactical precision with it. We have to take a break. You just heard an excerpt of a speech by Air Force CIO Bill Marion. He spoke recently at an Army Data and Cloud event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, I caught up with Air Force CIO Bill Marion after his speech at the recent Army Data and Cloud event. So first of all, Bill, let me just start with, uh, you mentioned Enterprise IT as a service. Uh, You guys have been pushing forward with this. You, there's a recent award around to Google that got a little bit of press as well. So let me start with the, the, the one piece that went live just recently, the Unisys piece on devices. Talk a little bit more about what that means. So that was really about reimagining how we do help desk services. So if you think of Genius Bars with Apple, how do you build that next generation of service desk, which is AI enabled, tier zero. And so that went live for about 70,000 airmen um, with basically a ServiceNow platform underpinning kind of how do you work trouble tickets with, with speed and agility? How do you get tier zero help? So I, like as a user, I can actually fix more of my problems uh, and then starting to enable some of the genius bar kind of concepts, which is instead of, you know, kind of additional duties, it's actually trained, armed uh, people that can come in and help uh, remedy problems. All of our risk reduction bases were part of that initial cutover. So it's pretty, pretty big cutover in a short amount of time. We probably went live in about seven months uh, into end, which is, which is kind of light speed in the DOD sometimes. 70,000 users seems like an awful lot. Now there's a lot more that, that, that are going to come on board eventually, but this is not considered a pilot anymore with 70,000 people. You, you've tested this out and you said, okay, here's the, the success we had. Here's the holes we had. Give me a sense of, of how you're looking at this initial cutover. Well, it's, it's still considered a risk reduction. So we're trying to inform the larger enterprise IT as a service acquisition strategy. So um, yes, we hope it continues to be successful and, and fully operational, but I would consider it IOC for initial risk reduction. At this time. Those 70,000, is it a specific 70,000, meaning it's at these spaces or headquarters or what? Or is it just kind of like you randomly, some, sometimes Bill goes into that the old way and sometimes Bill goes into the new way? No, we, these, these were the specific risk reduction bases. So like Buckley, Offit, Maxwell, Joint Base Elmendorf. So it was the basically all things around ITAS are around those, those specific risk reduction bases. So how do you reimagine the network? How do you reimagine how HEPDEL services and, and desktop provisioning is done, access to the cloud? All of those are baked into these specific uh, risk reduction bases. The other piece, I guess, related is just the uh, work you guys are going to do with Google. Are you able to talk about that award at all? Yeah, really what that one was was you've kind of look end-to-end with zero trust. We've got a lot of good zero trust elements in cloud one. How do you reimagine how we secure apps in the cloud? EIOD, which is how do you container get an encrypted container on a mobile device to get access to DOD data? We have some specific use cases, but the Google one isn't an implementation OTA as much as it is an architectural discussion of like with all the moving parts that we have, how do you actually synchronize those? So a lot of what Google's done over their kind of last decade of reimagining how Google secures data and how they look at zero trust, how do we implement that uh, concept inside the Air Force? 
they have gotten started or they're about to get started? Oh, it was just awarded. It was just awarded. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just kicking off. And again, it's more of an architectural discussion than it is an implementation. This isn't a we're going to go out and retool the network. It's to say, how do we do identity and security processes, cloud services in a holistic ZTA model? The other piece that you mentioned is related to the work that you guys have been doing around DevSecOps, the Kessel Runs, the AFWorks. You, you mentioned that th- those are about to go meet initial operating capability. What does that mean for the Air Force? Well, it's a multimodal answer, right? So depending on whether you're talking about unclass or classified networks, our cloud infrastructure is there for Nippernet. Um, we're, we're finishing the IL-6 or the Cipernet environment. And so the same thing is going on with DevSecOps is we're applying our platforms, our software factories. We have instances of those already on Nippernet and replicating those into these IL-6 environments. Some of that's just the nature of Microsoft and, a- and Amazon building those out both contractually and technically so they're available for us to consume. So the fact these cloud factories are about to go IOC, is it just for the secret world or is it for the unclass? They've been working for quite a while, but is it IOC always has that that label to it, meaning we're we're beyond pilot, we're beyond proof of concept, or we know where we're going, at least initially? Yeah, it's it's all relativity, right? So those programs have been live inside their ecosystem. I'm talking about IOC as a, as a factory for the Air Force, so that scale-out. Um, Cipernet, that, that's been going on on Nippernet for a while. The Cipernet environment is really, again, is that infrastructure available, so the same ecosystem kind of, not lift and shifted, but brought into Cipernet for it to be available at scale. Um, those programs have been using their capabilities, but how do, how do I provide this to program X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D in, with a lot of speed and agility? That's, that's what I really, at the enterprise level, is what I call IOC. And let me just break it down just a little bit, make it a little more clear. If I'm at a base that maybe didn't have access or was at a, a command or a base that didn't necessarily work with, AFWorks before or work with Kessel Run before, I'll now have access not just to them, but to that concept, that methodology of DevSecOps. And if I have people internally who understand or are ready to do it, they could they have a platform now to go do that on. Right. And so if, if you're in Kessel Run, it's there. You can use this capability today. But I'm talking as Kessel Run at scale or the platform at scale for any user to be able to almost self-provision, self-subscribe, do development in that environment. Uh, that's really the difference between... Uh, the two models. Not that we're not there today with things like KR and, and Level Up. The fact that you're able to expand it out, that that gives the Air Force, as you said, as you put these pieces in place, the cloud, the the diff- different pieces of data, um, architecture pieces, this kind of gives you that, that next piece. I mean, when you look at 2020 and beyond, IOC is one piece, but it's at scale. And that and that's, a big, that's the big win. Right. I, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of apps you could argue thousands of apps in total but every new development whether that's f35 gbsd b21 getting that unification of how we're delivering software because it's really not just how we deliver software it's all the data back in how do we integrate services together uh, the repeatability the modularity of software design all of those start to bring tremendous value to us so that scalability brings huge both value and war fighting capability to us That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Bill Marion, the Air Force CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.